Welcome to the ACC Podcast. My name's Tyler Birch. I'm a minister here at Anacortes Christian Church. We hope our weekly messages are a resource to help you grow spiritually and that they would bring you closer with God and His Son, Jesus. If you want more info about ACC, find us on Facebook or check out our website, anacortischristian.church. Enjoy the message. You know, we've been looking at this idea that Jesus is far greater than any other spiritual being, any, anything that you can possibly imagine. We've been unpacking the glory of Jesus. And then later on in the book, because the first part of Hebrews, I think in some ways it's surprising to me. It's deep. I don't know if you guys have, it's, it's really deep at times. It's really challenging to understand and, and to stay with it. And it's been a challenging series, I think, already to preach through. And yet, the writer of Hebrews is trying to expose the glory of Jesus, how he's far greater and surpasses all other spiritual beings. I think to a group of people, you know, because once you've read through, and like Mike, Mike's already preached through, people that were maybe being tempted to overlook the gospel. Maybe they had gotten bored with it or, or what, but they were maybe tempted to neglect it or, or tempted to, you know, maybe turn their back on it. And so... Um, we've been in this, and today I want to read from Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. And I was really looking forward to it. I was kind of hoping that the uh, projection system stayed broken, because I was going to be like, man, I prepared some amazing graphics for you guys, but you're going to not get to see them. But then uh, it got working again. So really, I just have two later on, um, and they're not that amazing. But I want to read from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, you're going to hear those words a lot today, flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Flesh and blood is who we're talking about here. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Pray with me for a moment before we continue on. Father, today there is so much in here. I'm so thankful for the the words of art and the words of others that have just reminded me, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is the only one who can fully present the words that you want to be heard today to each and every person. And I invite you now to do that, Lord to work through your word, maybe through my words, or maybe despite my words, Father, that you would give each person, even the kids that are sitting there with their clipboards, and um, the person that's been here a thousand times, or the person that this is their first time, I pray that you would help them to walk away with the message you want them to hear today. Thank you, Father. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. That word partook, from what we just read, I want to get, let you, uh, this sentence, just want to put it out there for you. It's kind of my synopsis, or at least the synopsis of where I want us to look, spend the next 20, 25 minutes. The God who partakes, the God who partakes invites us to partake with him. Not through our own flesh and blood, but through his. 
I'll read it again. The God who partakes invites us to partake with him, not through our own flesh and blood, but through his. As we read that first part, you know, those words are kind of strange. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And I know there's a lot going on here, but my first thought was, why doesn't it say what I would have said? The children being, and again, these aren't the adults, the girls. He's talking about every one of us sitting in the room, or the original author was, was writing to Jewish people, and he was saying, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. I would have thought, why didn't he say, since the children are flesh and blood? But it, no, it says, it, it kind of reminds us of something, I think, for a moment, in, in that separation. It doesn't say we are flesh and blood, it's we share in flesh and blood, but our flesh and blood realities don't make up our identity. Just want to consider that for a moment because throughout the day, again, I, like I said, you're going to hear the words flesh and blood a lot. And I hope you start to realize that, yes, while we share currently in flesh and blood, and that makes up what we see right around us most days when we wake up, we don't see, you know, spiritual things most of the time. Most of us don't when we wake up. We see flesh and blood, right? We see the bed we, wo- we woke up to, the house, the food, whatever, you know, the, the day's agenda, the to-do list, school, whatever you're faced Today, That's what we more often than not face. But the, the writer is reminding us that we share in flesh and blood. And I just want to stop and ask you the question as, as you come in here. I don't know you. I don't know what you're carrying or what you're going through today. But what are the flesh and blood realities that you are currently facing? What do you bring in here? Maybe you barely made it in here today because of the weight of your flesh and blood realities. And by that, I mean maybe it's health, right? Maybe it's the things that we spend our time worrying about. Maybe it's some little small thought of like, you know, I felt a new pain or I felt something new go on today. And let me stop. I had a true or false question that I was going to ask at the beginning. I skipped right over. So I want to ask, ask you this. Uh, kids, we got a pop quiz today, all right? There's, there's no, the nice thing about this pop quiz, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just curious to know what people are going to say. So here's, it's either true or false. And what I like about asking you all a true or false question, I'm going to ask, I'm going to say the statement in a moment. You can either say true or false. Remember, there's not a right or wrong answer. If your neighbor says true and you think false, proudly say it. And I know for others, that's kind of a black and white. How many of you guys hate true or false questions? Because I know there's some people sitting out there like, well, wait a second, let's talk about the meaning of that word. And how that corresponds to this word. So all right, you can overthink it as much as you want. This is just simple. All right, true or false? Life is hard. It doesn't have to be. That's just what everybody said. I'm just curious. There's no right or wrong answer here. Two more. The older you get, the easier life gets. Ah, there. See, we got some conflict. I like this. All right. And then the last one. Um, it is easier to make good godly choices when I'm sitting in church than when I leave it. Oh, wow, okay, all right, some people, that's the wrong answer, I don't know. (laughs) Sorry, I said there's not. No, but I don't know what your flesh and blood realities are, however, I know the older I get, the more challenging my flesh and blood realities, the more complex. Don't you wish for the days that our kids, the age, to be the age our kids were? In some ways, the simplicity of life back in those days. 
I mean, I heard a song this week. I don't remember the word, so I shouldn't even be bringing it up. But I, I remember one part in the song. It was a Christian song, and it said something about, I remember when I was a kid, I didn't care about keeping up with the Joneses. I was just glad they lived next door. <laughs> but then the older you get, something changes. Our flesh and blood realities change around. I don't know what you're carrying this morning, but there's an incredible message that's in the next verse Because it says, he himself likewise partook of the same things. You see, Jesus never looks at our flesh and blood realities and says, oh, come on. Buck up. What's your problem? Do you think that's bad? Check out that person over there. Get a grip. I mean, that's what we often do. And sometimes when we picture God, we picture him standing over us saying, come on, what's your problem? Why is that such a big deal? Why is that just a, such a struggle for you? No, we are there as little cheer, children sharing in flesh and blood. I mean, the older I get, these, certain, these little aches and pains that don't go away the way they used to. Doctors, work, retirement, school, career, dreams, Taxes, all of these flesh and blood things that we experience daily in our life and we see all around us. What does Jesus do? He doesn't point at them and say, why are you guys so messed up? Why are you so worried about those? No, he enters into our flesh and blood realities. He fully partook of them. He came down and walked the same road you and I both did I mean, later on in verse 17, it says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. I mean, he didn't pull some magician's trick where he's like, okay, I'm God. I need to save my people. I'll go down and pretend to be one of them for a moment so that they can be in awe of me. You know, and he pulls some, you know, trick on us. He fully came, born as a baby, walked as a little kid, just like the kids in the audience. You know, maybe he sat through the synagogue. Maybe at times he was bored as he listened and was trying, was restless. I mean, he walked and partook of the same thing. And he grew up through all the complexities of life and faced all of the same realities and everything that we could do. Jesus fully partook. He knows He was there. He didn't just hear about us. He didn't have a hard time relating because he's God and we're people. He put on flesh and blood and came and partook. I hope you can stop and think about that for a moment. Because for some people, it's a very different view of God than we normally think. Many people picture God as just one giant no up in the sky. Like, whatever you're doing, you know, and, and he's sitting there, and he's watching you, and he's just like, no, right? Like, I heard a guy talking about um, he was not really good in school, and so he, he turned in an essay to his teacher. I don't know what the essay was on, and when he got it back, you know, normally there's like a, a grade of some kind and some corrective, um, you know, you should do this a little bit better, you could, you could change this, and in big red letters, it just said, no. Some of us view God as a big no in the sky, But the writer of Hebrews is wanting to get us a fresh perspective on who Jesus is. God's not some big no, what in the world are you thinking, guilt, shame, condemnation. Instead, Jesus says, I know. I've been there. I get it. Unrealized dreams, crushing fears, heartache, boredom, stress, painful loss, 
Jesus says, I know what you're feeling and going through. I hate it. It makes me so mad because I've been there and I've seen that. How could he possibly know this? How could God possibly know this? Because he, the divine word of God, who was fully God with the Father in the beginning before the world was created, did not just stand back and point. Neither did he skip all of that messy stuff and, and zoom into the end of the story and come in and save us. No, he walked through the same things we walked through. Walking as a man subject to the same flesh and blood realities that we face each day. And then as the author tells us, why did he do this? Why did he go to such extreme measures? It's because we had an enemy. The next verse points it out to us. It says, since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So what was the enemy? The enemy was Satan. The, the weapon, what was the weapon of the enemy? Did you, re, did you catch that? Fear. Fear. Fear of what? Death. Fear of death. And it's kind of like this. Now, I don't know if you guys ever, you know, have thought through this, and I'm always hesitant to go into something um, as sacred to some as Star Wars from up here. Because I have to tell you, when I watch Star Wars, I watch it as somebody that enjoys it. And I know other people, maybe Mike being one of them, who they, like, they understand Star Wars at a level that I don't understand it. So I may use some analogy, and, and he'd be like, no, 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 that's, that's not what was really happening. So anyway, at the danger of venturing into that, um, Let's, let's see if you guys, hopefully you guys aren't as deep as they were in first service. What is the primary weapon of the dark side in uh, Star Wars? <laughs> the Death Star. See, now somebody already went like beyond that down to fear. Okay. Yeah, I'm just looking shallow. The Death Star, right? Big ball. Do we have that there? Yeah. All right. So... The Death Star, what, you know, had the ability to wipe out an entire planet. I mean, the, the universe lived in fear of the Death Star showing up, wiping out the planet. Yet, who was the true enemy? And again, I'm not going deep here. I'm going shallow here, right? Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> okay. I was just looking for the emperor or maybe the dark side, whatever. The guy in charge of the Death Star. We have this cool picture, and kids, you're like, why are we listening to talking about Star Wars and the church? Because this is what's happening, and I think Star Wars kind of gives us a little picture into the true realities. There's this cosmic warfare going on, Jesus putting on flesh and blood, why? To go down and to experience everything that we have experienced to the point of death, why? Because he's taking on this, the devil. The one who yields the power, who has this, the power of death. And again, that picture of power of death isn't one of just like, wow, you know, Satan. And, and sometimes we can get the wrong image of like there's Satan right here and there's God and they're both, one's good and one's bad and they're both duking it out and they're both power. No, the Bible paints a picture that Satan is on a very short leash and he's allowed for a time to have this realm that started back in the, e in the Garden of Eden. But that's when we start to get this picture of this 
flesh and blood realities that we live in, that Adam and Eve lived in. But what happened? Satan came in the form of a serpent. Now, this may all sound weird. What's going on? This is just flesh and blood. This was just Satan or Eve one day wanted to eat an apple. What's the big deal? Because as we'll say later on, the flesh and blood realities, you know, and, and again, we'll say this here in a moment. I'm jumping ahead of myself, is our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the battlefield is flesh and blood. In other words, when, at, when Eve was there in the garden, in making just a simple choice and a simple decision, having no idea that her decision and our decisions in the flesh and blood have far-reaching consequences on a whole different level than we could ever imagine. Jesus entered into the midst of that death. I mean, did you read that? It said, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That was his mission. Jesus came with a mission. He could have just come and said, hey, those people are really struggling to follow you, God, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go put on flesh and blood. I'm going to live my life, be faithful, show up to church every day, give money in the offering, and at the end of my life, go back and say, that wasn't so hard. Why are they struggling so bad? No, Jesus came with a mission to take on the Death Star and its boss. He came on to take on death And Satan, who's been able to live, he's been able to keep us as prisoners under the fear of death for all of these years. Jesus went to overthrow. In Luke 4, we see this picture playing out, this cosmic warfare. And it's happening on a very, well, it's a spiritual war that's going on. It happens on a flesh and blood level. Because there we see Jesus, he's baptized, and then he goes out into the desert. And then there's the, he starts, Satan shows up to tempt him. And again, you can picture it in terms of a battle that's going on, but rather than shooting or rather than, you know, whatever we see in Star Wars or whatever movie you want to see, we see Satan saying to Jesus, hey, you're hungry. Hey, you have the ability, just, just go and make this simple little decision. It's not a big deal. Nobody will ever know about it. And continually, Jesus, knowing that the flesh and blood realities of these little decisions, these little things that seem like they're no big deal, have eternal consequences, continually battled him with the word of God. And he turned it back to God. And Satan takes him up to a high point and says, all of this I'll give you. And again, it's not that big a deal. It's all this flesh and blood. There's this amazing stuff if you just do this. And Jesus continually battled with the word of God. And then at the end of this, we see Jesus goes back to Galilee, and he, sets, he goes back to the, the, the uh, synagogue that he grew up going to there in Nazareth, and he puts Satan and the whole dark forces on notice, because he reads, he asks for the scroll from Isaiah 61, and then he reads to the people, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Remember that prison, those, all of us kept in prison. So Jesus reads that. He sits down. Every eye in the synagogue is on him, wondering, how is he going to apply this? What's he going to do with these verses? How is he going to make shed new light on what this means? And Jesus simply says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
What's he doing? What's he saying? He's like, I'm here. God wrapped himself in flesh and blood to come down and set the captives. Who were the captives? They were us. To set the captives free. Captives free. Put Satan on notice. Colossians 2, 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. We're going to read in a moment. We won't have time to dive into it. Propitiation, this word. This is what this verse is talking about right now. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed Do you hear the warfare, the cosmic warfare that's going on, but yet on a very flesh and blood level? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Feels like there should be some like epic soundtrack. Do you know about the lifelong slavery of the fear of death? Even for kids. You know, I I know there's... There's certain songs or certain things, like the other day we were singing, uh, we, we sang a, a song, I'll Fly Away, it's a hymn, and, and one of my children was like, do we have to sing that song? I'm like, why? Well, it's like, I'll fly away, and it's kind of talking about death, right? Lifelong slavery of the fear of death. It's a natural part of our, our flesh and blood realities. It may look different for each of us. For some, it's a paralyzing fear and anxiety about death itself. Jesus says, I know. I understand that fear. I understand that anxiety. For others of us, it's, we're locked in slavery. Maybe not. Maybe we don't live in a constant fear of death itself, but maybe we live in a constant just trying to distract ourselves from the realities of life. Or maybe just try to chase after comforts and things that can make our life just a little bit better before. Or maybe it's self-preservation in a certain I don't know what that prison looks like exactly for you, but Jesus knows. And he's like, I know. I understand. That's why I wrapped myself and came down to take on death and its boss, the devil. Like we read earlier, Uh, from Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's why I've tried to point out what happened back in Genesis, that we can read sometimes the story of Adam and Eve and a garden and a snake, and it sounds so weird. And I think they're just trying to put in a language that we can, that we can try to grasp, that the everyday flesh and blood decisions that we're making have a cosmic eternal effect that we can't see. Why does he even say that? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's because we're tempted to only realize or, or think, because what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears is it's just flesh and blood, right? It's just, it's just waking up in the morning. It's just this one little decision. It's just what I need to eat. It's, and then pretty soon we find ourselves locked away in the same slavery that Jesus came to save us from. You see, I often forget 
this. Even though I'm living as someone who's, who's known this message and, and heard, all right, I don't want to choose the captivity, the slavery again, I easily slip back into it. One of my patterns that I've seen, and I saw it on display this week again, is whenever somebody close to me you know, either hurts me or maybe they don't hurt me, maybe they're just not giving me the attention that I want or desire, I can sometimes have a response of withdrawing and isolating myself. Now, it's easy. Um, okay, I'm talking about my wife, right? I was trying to couch it in language, but you guys, come on. If my wife, I can, I can go there. Now, kids, most of you don't have wives yet. But you do have brothers and sisters, or you have friends, and I think you can understand that sometimes, but I'll just tell you about me. You don't have to worry about you, you can just think about me. Sometimes when, when my wife, uh, you, you know, isn't doing something that I want her to do or, or something like that, I can, I can have this reaction. It's a very flesh and blood reaction. It's just like, you know what? That's fine. If you want to treat me that way, here's what, I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to isolate myself from you. And what am I doing in that moment? I'm taking my flesh and blood realities and I'm responding in a very flesh and blood way. It's a very actually five-year-old way to respond, which is fine when you're five. It's not fine when you're older than five, right? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withdraw from you. I'm going to isolate until what? Now, maybe you guys understand because I think you may. I'm talking about me. Until I can get something that I want from her. I want to get that attention. I want to get that whatever it is, right? And so this, this week, as I was thinking about this sermon, oh, I need to work on this sermon, and, and yet I was finding myself, and I was just, I was, I, was, I was kind of ticked at my wife. I was like, you know, and I was starting to go down this, this well-worn path that I've done before. I was like, you know, I'm just going to not love her and care for her the way that I should. I'm going to like kind of just distance myself. And, and I was kind of wrestling through this, and I felt God saying, like, okay, Mark, now I know you're trying to work on your sermon for Sunday. How about we go ahead and start right now with this very flesh and blood reality? And I don't know if this is embarrassing for me to talk about or not, but okay, I, I do my best thinking in the shower. Now, I, I hate, you know, when you're not supposed to stand in front of an audience, and anyway. Um, so I'll just tell you that, and you guys can do what you want. Because I, I can really think and, and pray well in there. So, but I turned in, I was having this really cool conversation with God because I was really, you know that weight when you're, when you're mad at somebody and you're like, man, I'm going to treat them differently. I'm going to get back at them this way. And I was in the midst of that. And yet God was saying, Mark, that's why I partook of the flesh and blood realities. That's why I, I'm here to help you. And that's, your sermon is right now. It's not just on Sunday. And so I started to feel a weight start to lift Because I'm like, all right, you're right, Lord. Because let's, let's read the rest of the verse before, we, before I keep going with my story. It says in verse 16, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So that's, that's the verse that I was you know, trying to figure out how to preach about. And God was like, well, take this opportunity right now, Mark. You and your flesh and blood are being tempted to respond in the same flesh and blood way that you've responded most times. And how's, it, how's that doing for you? 
And so I'm there, okay, right, Lord, that, that's not working well. Because, again, he's starting to open my, our eyes as, as Mike has been you know, giving this biblical worldview so that we can start to realize that the things that are happening around us, there's much greater things actually at stake, and we often miss it because we're so focused on the flesh and blood reality. And I was like, in, and I was there, and I was thinking in the shower, yeah, you're right. And the best way I could come up to describe this, and I, I really actually wanted to use this next um, little illustration at the beginning of my sermon, and I wanted to make it bigger in the sermon, and, and it, but towards the end, I realized, you know what, I, I think that'd be really fun, but it would probably distract us from the real message, but I still get to sneak it in right here, because how many of you guys have ever heard or ever played a, a, a video, ga- video game called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Well, see, I thought there'd be like four people, it, it could, and that was one of my realizations. Like, I was going to use a sermon illustration that nobody in the room would actually know about. But I think we have an image, if, if we have that still, uh, of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Because I want to tell you a little bit, real, just real quickly, because the, the, most video games are similar. Because in this game, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, you're this little skinny dude, and you're fighting you know, all these different guys. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to you know, punch and duck and block. And I mean... The, the simplistic explanation of the game is you have this little power meter, and your opponent has a power meter. And the more you punch him, the more his meter goes down. The more he punches you, the more his, your meter goes down. And you're trying to beat the other guy while you still have power left in your meter. Okay, so that's the basic. If, if you're a real student of the game, you'd say, no, there's more to it than that. That's okay. I just wanted to get that, that imagery in your mind. Because as we're looking at Jesus wrapping himself in flesh. Why? So that he can help us in our own flesh and blood realities, realizing that our flesh and blood realities have eternal consequences on a much bigger level than we could ever know. All right, so now back to me and and the shower. Okay, because I'm thinking through all this stuff, and I'm like, wow, Lord, you're right. I see that I'm responding in this flesh and blood way. And, And in that moment, me and God were like communing together. My power meter is like, it it went from like a 30 up to a 90. And you're like, I think I'm ready to go do this differently. Kind of like when we come into church. I don't know where your power meter was at when you walked into church, but sometimes, not every time, sometimes maybe you walk in here and you're so busy or maybe the sermon's so hard to focus on that you don't walk out with it grown. But hopefully, through the songs, through the worship, you know, your, your time with God builds your power meter. And you're like, yes. I'm ready to go out and to respond to this flesh and blood world in a new way. And that's how I was this week because I was thinking about all this. And then I had to turn the shower off and I had to walk out. And all of a sudden, my power meter started to go. I'm like, oh, I don't think I can do it. I think I'd like to keep, you know, ignoring and doing my normal stuff. And it, I battled that the whole day. I'm like, Mark, you're going to go try to preach about this. Yet the temptation to lash out or to withdraw or to whatever response you have. Kids, I don't know what it is. Maybe your power meter is up when you're at church. You're like, yeah, the next time my brother and sister does something mean to me, I'm just going to love them back. And that sounds great when you're sitting here at church. And then you get out and you're like, yeah, I'm at a 90. And you get out in the car and your brother or sister throws that first punch. Or maybe your brother and sister, you know, they get something that you don't get. And what happens all of a sudden? You're like, hey, that's not fair. Mom! Right? I mean, or that's again, we can pick on the kids. We can go to the adults. Maybe you're sitting here in church and you're like, yes, me and the Lord are close. I'm at 100. I'm ready to go honor. And then you drive out or you go out to your car. The very next moment, you're confronted with a decision. And more often than not, that power meter goes, hmm. And I think in that moment, Jesus 
He's trying to say, I know. I understand what you're going through. I know the emotions that you're feeling. I went through all of that and more, more than you can ever imagine. Jesus faced the full fury of Satan's wrath because Satan tried to break him, and yet Jesus stood strong, and then he sat down as our high priest, and he says, I came and did all that so that I could help you in your time of temptation. This week, I know when we walk out of here, maybe you're like, yeah, my power meter's up here. And as I know, as I go down, realize that Jesus is like, I know, I understand. Yet, would you be willing to recognize that the decisions that you are making, the very flesh and blood realities, whatever it is, I don't know what your worries are. I don't know what you're facing. But whatever your choice, you have a choice in that moment to reach out. And the word that we kind of, that it says here when it says, let me, let me read it here just a moment. I'm getting all scrambled up here. Oh, yeah. All right. But when it talked about you who are dead in your trust, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Wow. That's not good. Okay, there. Now we are. I'm back. It says, for surely it is not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. For because he himself, skipping to verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That word help is the same word to reach out and to grab or to grasp. And the incredible image that we get, the very same word is used over in Matthew 14, 31, when Jesus is walking on water, Peter jumps out of the boat and he's like, all right, Lord, his power meter's at like 100. He's like, if you tell me to come, I'll come. And he jumps out of the boat and he's walking. But what happens? That's right. His power meter, all of a sudden, he starts to see the realities of the flesh and blood, realities right around him. Like, holy cow, I'm in water. There's waves. I'm going to die. And all of a sudden, it goes down. And in that moment, what does Jesus do? He reaches out and he grabs a hold of him. We have a great high priest to make propitiation. Okay, he came to be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It's summing up this incredible passage. Jesus came. He wrapped on flesh and blood. Why? Because he wanted to save his people from death and from the enemy of death, Satan, or the, the one who held the power over death, Satan. But that's not all. Jesus came to be, and he introduces this theme of the high priest. It's one that we'll be talking about. Michael will be, pre be preaching out for weeks to come because the next seven chapters are all about this idea of the high priest. 1 John 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's a title that nobody else could carry, the righteous. Every one of us were confronted with our own flesh and blood realities. We were there in the rink you know, with Mike Tyson, and we had already been knocked out on our own. He, Jesus Christ the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. 
You could preach a whole sermon just on that one word, propitiation. It means averting the wrath of something. In this case, it's averting the wrath of God. It may ask you this question, why, why is God angry? Why is it such a big, why is sin such a big deal? And it's easy for us to kind of, but it's the same question if I were to ask, if somebody broke into your home and hurt the people that you love, would your wrath be right or wrong? And yet, God created a world, and yet we made our flesh and blood decisions, and our sin, it hurts not just those that he loves, those other people around us. God is saying, your, your flesh and blood realities are leading you to hurt someone I love very deeply. It's you. And rather than pouring out his fury on us, He sent Jesus to get into the ring, if I can use my Mike Tyson punch out, to stand there, and rather than Jesus, who could have for a moment, he could have went like, and knocked it all out. Instead, Jesus, though, had a bigger mission. It was to take on death itself. And Jesus stood there and took the blows that were meant for us. Why? To save us from the prison the fear of death, to set down to be our high priest, understanding and knowing what we're going through and to offer his hand of help. He doesn't come in with a helicopter and just say, you know, here, I'll, I'll save you from this. And, and again, I want to leave you with this, this, this story here as we come to closer to our communion time. I, kids, can you imagine being truly and utterly lost? You know, I don't know, maybe you've experienced it I've experienced it for a few moments, but imagine, you know, being like lost at sea, facing starvation, storms, predators, the elements, total exhaustion of every kind, and no one knows who, where you are, so you have no hope of rescue. Imagine being lost. With the added burden of knowing that you are the, you are responsible for the position that you're in. This terrible dilemma is a result of your own choices. That's a little picture of what we come see in the gospel message of our own lostness. Imagine being there in that moment. And that's where we find ourselves without Jesus, wrapped in flesh and blood, lost, subject to the lifelong slavery of death. And maybe attempting to ignore the reality of our situation by distracting ourselves through chasing after some comfort or some pursuit or to try to numb ourselves out of the reality. But in quiet moments, we know the truth. We're lost. No hope. Only death. And in that moment, in that lostness, I mean, what are you praying for? What am I praying for? In that moment, I'm praying, Lord, send a helicopter. Send somebody, like, go you know, get a diver and a, and a helicopter expert pilot. Get him off the couch and get him out here to rescue me. But here's the crazy thing. God has done that a hundred times. He had done that a hundred times. He'd sent Moses. He'd sent Joshua. He'd sent prophets and leaders to rescue his people and turn them back to him. But what kept happening? They kept returning to their lostness. They'd serve God for a while. Their power meter would be high. But after they got back to their homes and their eyes started to get focused back in on the flesh and blood realities, they turned their backs on God. And then in the Bible, there was this period of silence between what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
where God, I think, just kind of let people kind of to their own devices. But then the rescue plan of all rescue plans came. Jesus, and again, like I've said, he didn't fly in on a helicopter, skip to the very end. What did he do? He followed through the same path that we had gone. He partook of the same flesh and blood we share in to face the same needs, wants, and desires that keep leading us away from God and into this big mess, to endure the same storms and tragedies, and like we said, even far greater storms than we could ever imagine as Satan threw the full wrath of what he had to throw at Jesus, and he endured it all. Sail, and he sails into the mouth of the monster called death, and he grips, takes us out of its grasp, destroying death once and for all. And then he says, reach out, take my hand, and I will lead you through. The story of the gospel is one where Jesus fully partook of the same flesh and blood realities that you're facing. And here in just a moment, the men are going to, I'll pray, then the men are going to come forward with communion. And I invite you when they do, um, if you have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to simply take one of the, there's two cups, they're double stacked, take one and just hold on to it for a moment. Because I want to read some words that I hope will take on a brand new perspective when we read about and realize that Jesus didn't just stay and, and point to us in some hypothetical when he said, this is my body and this is my blood. No, Jesus fully wrapped himself in our body in the same flesh and blood that we face so that he could come down to save us from the death and to be our high priest, taking the blows that were meant for us on his own body. And he says, now that I want you to partake you know, he come, came down and partook. And then he invites us to partake in the lives of the people that around us so that we can walk in his footsteps. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we've looked at uh, just the incredible reality of you putting on flesh. And then as we arrive at communion time and recognize, Father, as you give us the opportunity to now partake in your flesh and blood. And Lord, as I recognize this week how easily it is for me to go back to my old ways, to go back into just doing things the way I've always done them, not even realizing I'm falling into the temptations that are right there in front of me, Father. I pray this week that we can grab a hold of your hand, and even in those moments when our power meter is low, that we can remember, Lord, that we don't have to do it on our own strength, because you came, you stretched out your arms, and you gave your body, and you gave your blood for us. Thank you that we get to celebrate that now. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just a reminder that we love you and God loves you and you always have a place here at ACC. We are now back on our standard fall schedule 
with two services, one at 8.15 and another at 10 a.m. We hope to see you soon.